Turn with me to two places in your Bibles. I will step away from our John study. I'll be back in it next week. Uh, two places, uh, Romans chapter 5 and John chapter 8, which will be in a couple chapters from now. Romans chapter 5, John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. Just two verses. I'll read the one in Romans first. And it's Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 18. Paul speaking, he writes, Therefore, as through, one's man, uh, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. So Adam's offense, the sin in the Garden of Eden, brought judgment on every single soul, resulting in condemnation. In other words, that every one of us are born into condemnation. We're already on our way to an eternity in hell unless Jesus steps in. Even so, through one man's righteous act, that being Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Aren't you glad Jesus brings us the free gift of salvation? It wasn't free to him, but it becomes free to us. Over to John chapter 8, complimentary passage. A very short verse, probably heard it many times. John 8, verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, your only begotten Son, to reverse the curse that by one man's uh, offense, sin entered, but Lord, by your sacrifice, the free gift of eternal life entered. And we thank you, Jesus, that if you have made us free, and we recognize that freedom, Lord, we are free indeed to now live above the plane of this world, and above the plane of our own flesh, even though our flesh is still there, we can actually see it diminish as we live in the freedom you've called us to to be free in Christ. We just thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for our freedoms as Americans, Lord, but we thank you more for our freedom in Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. In my neighborhood, this week I saw one uh, yard, in one yard, giant letters, F-R-E-E-D-O-M, freedom. Big, big letters about this tall in someone's yard. I saw another home right on the front door and had a banner that said, Home of the Free. We like freedom, don't we? We like that terminology, freedom. Free to do what we want with our time and our talent and whatever we have. Today is a day that we celebrate the Declaration of Independence of our nation. When on July 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress declared that the 13 states were now free they declared themselves free from the British rule and the monarchy of England. The subsequent winning of the Revolutionary War would ultimately secure America's freedom 
which was purchased by the blood of fallen soldiers and citizens. Sadly and wrongly, many African Americans, many Indian Americans, or the Native Americans, didn't attain that freedom that came with the Declaration of Independence from Britain. On that day, many of them, and not later when the Constitution would come, did not see that same freedom. Now understand, whether you're online or here, there was widespread disagreement among the colonies from the very outset of all being free versus some being free. The some being European descendants for the most part. You had abolitionists like John Adams, who would go on to be president, the Quakers that were against it from the beginning, and then you had others that were for slavery and, and frankly for racism. And the Constitution, which would not become the governing law of our nation until 1789, you remember 1776 is the Declaration, you still have the Revolutionary War in between, and actually the war had already begun even, the war was already underway when you had the Declaration, but but the Constitution didn't fix the issues of freedom for all. The governing framework was and is an amazing document. Was and is an amazing document. But the lack of equal rights for everyone was a total failure and sin. And these things set the stage for the Civil War which would take place only 85 years after the Declaration of Independence and only 72 years after the Constitution, the Civil War, which many of the founders said, until this is resolved, we will have a war among ourselves. And they were right. That, that happened. And of course, even after the Civil War, uh, freedom was severely limited for millions of African Americans. But from I want you to understand from a timeline perspective, Imagine the U.S. becoming a nation in 1936. And then the war between the states would be this year, 2021. That's how close that took place. The Constitution would actually not be until, if you took our timeline, 1949. That would be the Constitution. This would be the war between the states, 2021. Over this issue that was sin that had not been resolved from the outset. The point is the freedom we celebrate today did in fact begin with a brand new nation, but not with perfect freedom. It did not begin with perfect freedom. By the way, I, I thought this long before I even became a Christian. I thought this long before I ever became a pastor. I remember in like, what was it, like 1976, the movie Roots came out, and I hated that movie as a kid. I was like, this is not right. No one had to tell me uh, you know, just, you just understood. But even though we don't have a perfect freedom and didn't in those years, I'm genuinely glad with all of our failures and all of the injustices along the way, we today as Americans have a freedom that is unheard of in the vast history of the entire world right now today. Whether you live in Maine, Hawaii, Alaska, Florida, you have a, watching online, you have a freedom right now today that is unheard of in the vast majority of world history. Most people didn't have much in the way of rights throughout the history of the world. And the freedom we have right now today, in spite of all the failures of the past and even some of the failures of the present, is why people are 
trying hard to come to this country, no one's knocking down the door to get to China to go be free. No one is trying to get into North Korea, say, can I please move here? No one is trying to get into Iran right now to find freedom. They're trying to escape those nations to come to this nation. And at the same time, there are many forces in our nation right now and around the world that would love to see all of the freedoms here and the liberties that we now have curtailed significantly. You see pastors being arrested in Canada. You would hardly expect that. We're one, we're one border away. But right now and for several decades, really several decades, at least post-civil rights movement, which finally you know, brought the rights that should have been there long before. But for several decades, we've had a unique freedom that's truly a gift from God. Do you believe that? It's truly a gift from God. Freedoms many still take for granted. But we shouldn't, especially as Christians. So today, we really can be, if you're planning on celebrating it, you, you should. You can be joyful. It's okay to say, thank you, Lord, for the freedoms we have. The, what we do with them is the big thing we'll look at this morning. That we can celebrate today, in spite of what's been a couple hundred years of the making, millions will celebrate today in all the familiar ways. I'll be grilling out later today, Lord willing. The weather looks decent out there. It looks really nice, actually. And yes, this is still an imperfect nation. That's why we pray for revival. Have you ever read the Old Testament, how imperfect Israel was? They constantly needed revival. Another judge, another prophet, right? Need another righteous king. But we're still an imperfect nation, and yet the opportunities here are unrivaled. Uh, it, you know, you can use all your opportunities for the Lord, or you can use them for yourself, but if you just are, even if you're saying, I'm not ever going to follow the Lord, but I'm going to use my freedoms to become a millionaire, a billionaire, you can. I'm not saying that's the way you should chart your course. I don't think you should, but and the Bible tells you you shouldn't. But nevertheless, you have those freedoms. God really has blessed America. He really has shed His grace on thee, hasn't He? Far more than we deserve. We've never really deserved His blessing, but we've received it nonetheless. Especially if you're alive now. Not, not, not if you were born at another time, but right now, 2021. But as I mentioned, the freedoms we celebrate, they've always been flawed. We have had flaws. We have to be honest about those flaws. They haven't always been equal. The freedoms haven't always been equal. But at the same time, all the freedoms we have right now could be gone very fast. Very fast. And by the way, if you read the book of Revelation, someday they will all be gone. Did you know that there's coming a day when all freedoms will be gone? You won't even be able to buy or sell unless someone tells you. Kind of, we've seen hints of that here and there. But all those freedoms that, that we have could certainly be taken away. But the freedom that Jesus secured through himself, we, we just read there in Romans and in John, the freedom that Jesus secured through himself and by his blood, which was not free to him but was free to us, that he offers us this free gift of salvation, that freedom is eternal. Isn't that good to know? 
that, yeah, someday our country could go completely off the rails, we could be a completely communist nation with every freedom taken away, and yet this world is in your home, you have freedom still in Jesus, in your heart, in your soul. The freedom of Jesus liberate, and that's, by the way, that was the saving, that was one of the, the things that allowed, you know, when you had African Americans that were enslaved, many of them were truly saved, they were free in Christ, their masters were in bondage to sin, and the roles were reversed, kind of like Lazarus and the rich man, when one ends up in hell and the other ends up in heaven. Because you don't want to trade the vapor of this life for eternity. So you want, you want your freedom to be in Jesus, and the freedom of Jesus liberates the soul that's destined for hell. It's not equal to our liberties as citizens. It's far above our liberties as citizens. And it's perfect because Jesus is, is perfect. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, Real Freedom Only in Christ. Real Freedom is Only in Christ. And we just want to look this morning at uh, here, you know, in our nation we have these unique freedoms which people in parts of the Middle East can't even relate to, which people in North Korea cannot relate to. They can't even fathom our freedoms. And yet, so many, American, so many times you see as Americans just complaining about the freedoms. Uh, you wouldn't even be able to tweet some of the things you tweet, but you would be in jail by the end of the day in some countries just to say what we say. But at the same time, Jesus is saying no matter where you live in the world, I can give you freedom. Isn't that great to know? That uh, you can be in a jail cell and be totally free, but you also can be outside of a jail and be in complete bondage. And I just want to draw our attention to some of these things this morning. The first thing, just this, if you're taking notes, we'll look at set free from sin through Christ. We'll look at three things this morning. Set free from sin through Christ. Because I'm glad I have the freedoms of an American, but I really know that if I was born in Denmark or Nigeria or Indonesia, I could have the same freedom in Jesus that I have right now here. Amen? Amen. Transcends nations and places. No matter how much freedom, though, we have here in America or anywhere else on earth, and other nations have, we, you know, there are other places where you can live pretty free. We're not the only place anymore, thankfully. We're all born into bondage, whether we know it or not. In Psalm 51, 5, uh, it tells us this. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Why? Because, because of Adam's sin, sin passes on to every person born. You don't have to learn how to sin. You're born knowing how to sin. You don't have to be trained how to sin. You're good at it from day one. Right? You don't have to, man, someone, I just need someone to teach me how to sin. Just live, you'll, you'll do it. You'll automatically sin. We're born in sin as sinners. We're, we're born attracted to sin. Not necessarily the same sins. You might be attracted to this and I might be attracted to this, but we're all attracted to some things that violate God's perfect and holy standard. We're all attracted to things that are anti-Christ. The, John calls it the spirit of Antichrist, which is in this world. We're, we're all attracted to things that are opposed to God. That's why you'll sometimes watch something, and then later you'll be like, why did I watch that? You have a guilty conscience, because God's like, you know why you shouldn't have watched it. Let's list them out, right? 
we're attracted to things that are of the flesh, but ultimately we're attracted to being the lords of our own life. Americans love, I'm free to do whatever I want. You cannot tell me what to do. It's why we have the pervasive philosophy, and it's been around for a long time, been around since I was a kid and probably for longer than that. If it feels good, do it. You know that one? No. Many things might feel good, but don't do them. Satan's whispered that in, in people's ears for 6,000 years, and it's been catastrophic. In our nation, we have so many freedoms that millions now just want to be free from God. Free from God. Just get him out of my life so I can enjoy myself. And it's not just free from God interfering in people's lives. We even want to be free from the very notion of God. That's why we have atheism is rising. It's, I don't know if you know this, but it's rising every year in our nation, particularly among millennials and younger. Uh, a 2020 Barna poll uh, recently found, in just, just last year, a slim 51% of Americans now believe in the God of the Bible. That was like 68, 70% not that long ago. 51% now believe in the God of the Bible. What does that mean? 49% completely have their own God, whatever they want it to be. Oh, in their mind. It, do, it doesn't change the fact, obviously, that God is still God. But this is what, and the, the removal of God from our mind uh, in our own nation, this is why the lie and the fantasy land of evolution that everything just created itself. This pulpit, no one made it, it just created itself. These eyeglasses, no one made them, they just made themselves. Right? But the, the, you say that's, that's, that's lunacy. But that's what we're teaching the schools to all of our kids. It all just created itself. It just came into being. It's amazing. The complexity of your eyeball just happened. Complexity of your lungs, your heart, you name it. But the more we ignore God, the more sin abounds. You ever notice that? Where there's a lack of a God conscious, sin rises. I, you know, when you see crime rising, I want people to have a healthy fear of law. It keeps you safe. You want people to have a healthy fear of God because it keeps a nation from destroying itself and killing one another. But where is, there is no understanding of God, sin abounds. The Bible says where, the law, where, where, there is no, where, where you don't have the law, you're going to have just a pervasiveness of lawlessness. And the more we de, uh, but the more deceived we become, the more we actually think we can solve our own problems. We created the problems, and we think we can solve them. And all the problems are created by sin and rebellion, all of them, sin and rebellion. That's just our nature. Don't, don't point your finger at everybody else. That's your nature too. That's our nature, sin and rebellion. And as a nation, we can throw thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions, or trillions at problems, and it's like trying to put on a massive forest fire with a squirt gun. And by the way, in 1776, they couldn't even have conjured up the thought of the word trillions. We use the word trillions as it relates to money. It's on the news all the time. You should just one time, 
Spend a month and write down every time you hear the word trillion, you'll be surprised. It's, it's a number we can't even comprehend anymore. It's a staggering number, but we can throw money at it, and guess what? It doesn't really solve anything. You want proof? Here's one. This was a recent article. America has spent over a trillion dollars fighting the war on drugs. Fifty years later, drug use in the U.S. is climbing again. Well, this is a big surprise. Sin can't be solved by money, right? Just throwing money at it doesn't sound... And I don't know if you know this or not, but most people know drugs are bad for them. 100 out of 100 people know drugs are bad for them. The kids have seen D.A.R.E. commercials since they were in first grade. They already know. They've seen, this is your life, this is your life on drugs. You know, all those commercials... They ignore all of that. Why? Because the heart wants what the heart wants. God says, don't eat of that tree. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? right. That's the nature. That's our nature. That's your nature. That's my, our sin nature is drawn to destruction, and we don't want to come to God. We would actually rather throw money and political solutions at it. None of that works. We know divorce really harms families. Would we all agree with that? And yet, many adults will divorce anyway. They'll say, well, I know it didn't work out for my cousin's kids well, but it will, will be different. It'll be okay with our family. They'll get over it. We do it anyway. Last, um, we had the Father's Day uh, message recently, and we talked about, I talked a little bit about the fatherless epidemic. Money won't solve that. It has to be God turns the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers we see in Malachi. And yet we throw money at these things. We throw attorneys at it. Nothing solves that unless God the Father solves it. Pick a societal or a political issue and I can guarantee there's a sin problem behind every single one of them. It doesn't matter what it is. Pick one and we can trace it back to an, a sin issue or a rebellion against God issue. Every single one of them at the core. So laws and Money and freedoms and levels of education, even church going. None of those things can change your heart. We know this. You can have people sit in church and are no different than the lost person. Matter of fact, many of them are lost. Jesus said you'll have tares grow among wheat. So church going doesn't solve it either. See, the heart of mankind is born into the bondage of sin. The heart of mankind is unable to change. The very God millions want to be free from is the only one that can save them from themselves and from the judgment to come. The very God, I don't want to be, that's the God that people will cry out to at the end of the age at the great white throne judgment, say, Have mercy, but it's too late. You have to cry out to Him now. Now is the day. But He can change us, and He's changed. Most of us in this room, I don't know every heart, but I know he's changed a whole lot of us. I know he's changed me. In Ephesians 2, 3 through 4, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now remember, Paul is in the Roman period, so the Romans were famous for their lust of the flesh. And we're by nature children of wrath, and just as the Romans that were, out, were lost were on their way to the wrath of God, so is everybody else, just as the others. But I love that one little Two word, but God. But God. 
who is rich in mercy. God doesn't want to see America fall into full-on judgment, which will come if we don't repent. Absolutely. If God didn't spare Israel, he will not spare America. Just just so we're all clear on that. But it's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he's holy, and he does love us. And whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If it would turn us back, that our souls would be set free. We cannot free ourselves from sin, but we can be set free from sin. Isn't that great to know? We can be set free. Can't set ourselves free. If you're inside a prison, someone unlocks the door and lets you out. You've been let out. That's what Jesus does. You can't get yourself out. Someone has to let you out. And that's what Jesus does. The whole mission and ministry of Jesus coming to this earth was set prophetically long before he came to Bethlehem and he died on the cross at Calvary there in Jerusalem. Isaiah 61 prophesied well before Jesus came, and you guys are probably familiar with this passage. Jesus actually reads it in the synagogue in his earthly ministry. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison. Remember, if you're in prison, someone else has to let you out. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You can't get yourself out of the dungeon. Jesus pulls you out. Set free. Liberty. What are we all captives to when we're born? We're captive to sin. We're captive to sin. And by the way, when you see unsaved people trying to solve sin problems, they're actually also trying to solve the guilt of their own heart. If they can solve things, it makes them feel better about themselves. But it doesn't absolve their own personal sin. But they do feel better about themselves. But Jesus comes to the heart of the issue. In Romans 8, 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, when when it says there's a law of sin and death, it basically is saying that you are so wretchedly connected to your sin, just like the law of gravity, if I drop this clicker, where is it going to land? Right on the stage. And you by nature, when you're born, what will you do? You'll immediately drop into sin. It's a law. It's like gravity. You're that connected to it because that's the nature. But Paul says, the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from that. I now, if I were to go to drop it, it will just stay in midair by the Holy Spirit, if you will. Not that, I'm saying for an analogy of our, he all of a sudden gives us the new life in us the new life of Christ, where we can actually say no to that old nature. We can potentially, those of you watching online as well, we can potentially have more financial and religious and political freedom than any person or nation in the history of the world. Even we can, we can get to the point where somehow life is going so well that you're free from every ache and pain. You ever meet someone and you say, wow, their life looks carefree. They don't seem to have a care in the world. Everything's going perfect for them. You can get to that point, but it would be and is a total illusion and deception if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because it's, very, it's just temporary. That would be a vapor. It's a feeling for a moment. We've all felt great one day and horrible the next. 
We've all been full one day and hungry the next. It's short-lived, but the soul will, st even if you feel carefree, but if you've not been set free from Jesus, the soul is still in bondage and on, it's on a road to eternal bondage and to hell. But Jesus said, even if you could gain the entire world and feel great, if your soul hasn't been set free, you're in a bondage that you're completely unaware of. And so it's my job, as a soul that was set free in June 1995, and as a Christian, a follower of Christ, and now as a pastor in America. I didn't choose to be born in America. I could have been born somewhere else. God says, this is the country you're going to preach in. This is where you're going to be born. But as a pastor in America, it's my job to now proclaim, no matter what, till the day I die, what real freedom is, and that's in Jesus. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in your political affiliation. It's only in Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty in which Christ has made us free. And do not entangle again, uh, be, be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So now I've been given this freedom in Christ. I received that freedom. It was offered to me all the first 25 years of my life. I said, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. I like the bondage. I like the bondage. I'll take the bondage. I'll, I'll stay in bondage. I finally said yes in 1995 to the freedom of Christ. I've been in freedom since then, and I now value that freedom far above my American freedoms. But we, since we have so many American freedoms, we can misuse them and return to the bondage. But that's not what the Lord has for us. Number two, we've not only been set, set, uh, set free from sin through Christ, we're set free to worship in Christ. There's a reason we've been set free in this lifetime. Obviously, we have the eternal life with Christ, but there's a reason we're still alive that God didn't save me and take me straight home within minutes after being saved. That was 26 years ago. Why am I here 26 years later? Well, it's to, to worship Christ in this lifetime. Sadly, so many that claim Jesus has set them free from sin and death still look longingly at the world. They're having so much fun over there. They have a better life than me. They can earn as much as they want, do as much as they want, drink as much as they want, think about things as much as they want, and I'm not allowed to do any of that stuff. If you're really saved, you're glad that you don't do those. You, you're not living that way anymore, that you've been given a new desire, a new taste buds for the things of the Lord. But many don't realize that they're looking longingly. They've readopted the bondage and philosophy of the world. We have been set free not to build the American dream, but to worship freely in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Not to, uh, well, in the kingdom, I would like to build the American dream, God. And right here, now surround me with the kingdom, but I would like a perfect little, and God's like, no, no, no. I'll tell you what I want you to build. John 4.23, it says, but the hour is coming and now is. We, we studied this a couple months back. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him, to give Him adoration, to give Him their lives. That term, in spirit and truth, it's that inward work that happens to you that produces an outward 
manifestation of worship unto the Lord. In other words, it's been so work of the Spirit that it's changed how you live, how you desire to live. Our worship is continuous once we've been born again, and it becomes what? God-focused. Our worship becomes God-focused. Philippians 3.3 says this, it says, we are, for, we are this, uh, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. This is the circumcision of the heart, different than the flesh circumcision. Who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say, and have no confidence in the flesh. How many that are saved have any confidence in your flesh? That your flesh can bail you out of anything? No. But now that we're born of, of the Spirit, we worship God in spirit. It's, it's one of the primary reasons we were saved is to give glory to God, to become worshipers. That's why Jesus said the Father is seeking true worshipers. You've been saved to become a worshiper. In heaven, you're going to do a lot of worshiping. Right now is practice. And that worship of God comes only through the new birth of Jesus that he gives us, the new birth that he gives in our hearts, and that restores our worship of God. You know, Adam and Eve had worship with the Lord, and then sin cut off the worship. What happened when sin entered? They hid from God. Instead of wanting to go and be with God, they wanted to be anywhere but. Why do you think people, when you invite them to church, don't want to come to church? They don't want to get near God. I'm trying to stay away from God. Don't you understand that? I do understand that, but I was there too, and I bid you anyway. So, by the way, invite them anyway. I invite people all the time that tell me I'm not interested. No, I'm fine. I wasn't interested too. But then God restored my worship through salvation. And that worship is through Jesus in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Unless Jesus sets us free... There is no access or worship to God. Does this make sense? There is no access. You cannot be a true worshiper, nor can you really come into the presence of God in communion and worship unless Jesus has authenticated you and said, they're clean, I've saved them. But did you know every soul still worships? You guys know that? G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, when a man ceases to worship God... He does not worship nothing, but worships everything. And that's America today, isn't it? We literally worship everything. We worship our smartphones. We worship TV shows. We worship celebrities. We worship sports teams. We worship ourselves. We worship ourselves. We worship ourselves. <laughs> I mean, Satan, he was... He, he knew what he was doing. He said, wait till I create social media where they, people can literally exalt themselves 24-7. It's an end time. It didn't even exist for the first 6,000 years of history. But in this latter time, he says, I will give a platform that people, if they have no notoriety, can at least laud themselves as often as they feel like. But that's America today, literally anything and everything. I was an 80s 
middle school and high school kid. I ain't got any of their 80s people like me. You grew up in the 80s. You know, 80s is making a comeback. I don't think the early mullets are going to make a comeback, but parts of the 80s <laughs> are making a comeback. I don't understand why some of the fashions will come back in certain, like, certain things in the 70s. Dudes should never wear bell bottoms again, and, you know, 80s comes along, mullets should never come back, and all these things. And, but nevertheless, I was an 80s high school and middle school kid, and the 80s is not only ingrained in our culture, but it's actually making comebacks with, with uh, the new generation. But there was a song in the early 80s called Everybody is Working for the Weekend. You guys remember that song? It reached number two on the Billboard charts, uh, Rock Mainstream, in 1982. And although not everybody was working for the weekend in 1982, a lot of people were working for the weekend in 1982. And a whole bunch of people are still working for the weekend today. Wouldn't you agree? More than ever. And by the way, you may not think of it, but that song... It's a worship song. It's not a worship song to God. It's a worship song for the world. It's an anthem of people's priorities. See, what we're really living for is what we actually worship. If you really are living for and working for, I, I enjoy some weekends, but I don't work for the weekends. I work for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Six days shall a man work, seventh day rest, and that day of rest was to worship the Lord. But all of our work, all of our effort, all of our worship is to be the Lord. If we're living to make our own little heaven here on this earth, which is temporary anyway, we're totally missing Christ enthroned in heaven. Totally missing it. And more and more, that more and more people that claim Christ Sadly, you'll see more and more that claim Christ than I think I've ever seen looking to leisure and self and stuff and possessions and experiences for fulfillment. Looking for all these things to fulfill the soul. And they're turning back to the worship of the things of this world. Here on the 4th of July, many in the body of Christ are actually like Lot looking and saying, Sodom has it all. Why don't I just go there? Right? And it, by the way, Sodom didn't go and live. Uh, Lot did not go and live the depraved life of Sodom. He just went close to the fun and the affluence of Sodom. He was attracted to their carefree lifestyle and the affluence and that they would rise to eat and drink. He was attracted to that. He wasn't attracted to the sexual lifestyle they had. So he stayed one tiny notch above everybody there. Does that sound familiar? That's the American church. We just want to stay one notch above. And God says, no, no, I've called the true worshipers who will worship me in spirit and truth. They're not trying to live one notch above. They're trying to live really close to Jesus. It's a different level of worship. But many are turning back. And John, the very last thing the apostle John wrote in his epistle in 1 John to the church there, he said, final sentence of the fifth chapter, little children, keep yourself from idols. John knew how much our flesh is attracted to idolatry, how much our flesh is attracted to its own, own ways, own schedule. God, don't put me in this box. I want to do it my way. 
I want this, I want that, I want this. And he, John's like, don't go back to idols. We do not have to be enslaved to the world's worship. Isn't that good news, though? We don't have to be enslaved. You don't have to be enslaved to all about me. Instead, you're set free to all about God, all about the Lord, all about him. And we're firmly commanded not to go back to idols. But when, brother and sister, when we fall in love with the freedom of Jesus, guess what? We fall out of love with the world. When we fall in love with the freedom of Jesus, we fall out of love with the world. Um, I, I pastor a church today. I used to be in corporate America. I tell people all the time, I said, if you want to make money, it's easy. It's not hard. If you want to work hard and get to know people that can teach you things, I said, I, I could go back into corporate America and make a fortune compared to what I do as a pastor. I don't long for what that world has because once you have freedom in Jesus, you don't need all of that. Amen. You find something better. When we worship, it's by abiding in Jesus and our heart begins to praise God and we thank Him and we're in awe of Him. But it doesn't stop there. Last thing I want to look at this morning, it doesn't stop with our personal communion with God. When we walk in the freedom of our worship, we then fulfill His purpose of us being on this earth. And so if you're taking notes, the last thing this morning, we're set free to serve unto Christ. To serve unto Christ. Um, Tuesday morning, assuming, assuming many of you get off tomorrow for the, I think the, the uh, observed fourth is tomorrow for holidays and for, uh, for employers. But you can be driving to work on Tuesday morning, for example, worshiping God all alone in your car, getting, as they say, your worship on, on the way to work. But that freedom of worship goes well beyond your car because you really can't do that. If you've got to conduct a meeting, you can't conduct the meeting in worship tone like that, right? You've got to put on a different uh, you know, mindset, and here's how we're going to communicate. Uh, but I'm teaching right now. I'm not singing praise songs. I'm worshiping God right now doing what I'm doing. This is, this is worship to the Lord when the high priest or the priest would actually go and, and, and clean things, that was worship. If they had to clean the basins, that was worship. If they had to go and cut the animals and drain the blood, that was worship. That's not the same as this worship service. Those are both forms of worship. Now, at the same time, we could have a carnal, hireling, teaching in the pulpit in America, and we have many of them, doing it in the flesh, that is not worship. That's self-worship. It's not worship of God, I would say. That would be self-worship. But you're just worshiping yourself. Remember Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire. The Lord, the fire of God fell upon them. They were consumed because that was not worship. That was self-worship. So we have to be careful. I have to be careful. I, I can't get in the pulpit and call it worship unless, Lord, I've got things right with you and this is worship unto you. But let me also say, you can be worshiping right now. Those of you sitting here and sitting online watching, you can be worshiping right now just listening to this message. It can be a form of worship because if it really is sincere, say, Lord, I'm here today to hear from you. 
to worship you, to learn from you, to learn from the Word of God, not from fiction or stories or fables or, or little cute things that Pastor Tim might come up. You know, you're ignoring that. You're saying, I'm going to learn from the Word of God. Then you're worshiping just sitting right there. That's a form of worship. Because you're receiving from God and acknowledging, Lord, this is what I need for my life. Or you could just sit here by habit, totally begrudging, bored out of your mind, completely uninterested, and that's not worship. That would be empty worship. So that's possible. But the point is, true worship is continuous. Does that make sense? It's, it's the walk of our life. It goes well beyond praise and awe and communion with Him. The walk of our life, not just the moments of our life, not just well, I worship from 10.45 to 11.15, and then I worship again the following week at 10.45 to 11.15. No, no, worshiping through the week and how you serve the Lord to live it out. The verse that I shared a few minutes ago from Philippians 3.3, let's look at it one more time, but in a different context. You see the word worship there, the word worship... Um, Lutreo in the Greek, to serve for hire, to serve or to minister. The same work, the same Greek word is used 21 times in the New Testament. But did you know that 16 of those 21 times, it means to serve like a servant. It doesn't mean praise and worship music. It doesn't mean I'm hearing my favorite song and my hands are raised, my eyes are getting misty and my body's starting to get really, really into this. Although I like all that. And God does bless us with that kind of worship. This kind of 16 to 21 time, this would be like polishing the bronze laver, which is, hey, you're a priest. You're orienting the new priest. How do I get to worship today? Grab a rag. What? Take the blood and go dump it out over here. That, uh, this feels like a job. This feels like work. And they're like, you got it. You're working under the Lord. You're serving the Lord. Jesus manifested. He got down and he did what the disciples' feet. He washed their feet. He said, this is how you're going to worship God. You're going to worship by serving him and serving other people to minister. We worship and serve God by doing the work of the kingdom and serving others. That's why I'm talking to you about the children's ministry. That's why we need people to cut the grass. That's why we need you. But you are called into salvation to not just worship in song and in heart, but to worship the Lord with your hands and with your feet and with all that is within you. Let me say there's a personal tension, though, between our personal worship and living out our worship. Dr. Michael Brown said this, and I, 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 can, I can relate to this at times. Personally, as much as I enjoy fellowship with the Lord, I find it much easier to do something for Him than to be with Him. But spending quality time in His presence, being with Him, is actually the most important thing we can do for Him. That's the whole Mary-Martha thing. There is a time where you're just like Mary, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, but he goes on, all effective service starts there. The tension is we are not to be just doers, but we're to be those who abide in Jesus. But those who abide in Jesus do become doers, but they're not doers to do something. They're 
doers from something. Does that make sense? It's from the overflow of God flowing through us, which sends us out, and we can't just say, well, I had a good time in devotions. That should be enough. It, God says, no, no, now you've got to reach other people so they someday are in devotions too. Uh, earlier this week, uh, I was telling my wife, that we, we both uh, it had been like three or four nights where we got to bed really late, and it was all ministry-related, but I said, you know, we were driving home, and I said, look, what's awesome is at the end of all this, it's all about people that God wants us to pour into. And then the next morning, I, I thought I'd be exhausted. Instead, I woke up, and I went for a run, and I ran way stronger than I did earlier in the week when I had had all this rest. from the. And it was like God was telling me, I will always fill the cup to what you need. Always. Worship me. Worship me through personal, but worship me through serving others. The rest will all be given by the Lord. Um, God doesn't need our worship. We need the worship. He doesn't need We need the worship. We need it. The body of Christ needs it. Other people need it. The world needs it. We need it for our souls. We need it for growth. And others need to experience, and that's why he says, I'm going to have you worship by serving others. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely what? God gives us in that worship of our lives what we need to go back out and to minister. To worship our king means to serve and to work in his kingdom. I'll close with this thought. Our U.S. military is a volunteer service. We all agree with that, right? Uh, when I, I had to sign up for the selective service when I turned 18 eons ago now. Uh, and, uh, but those of you that are teenagers, no one's going to come grab you, cuff you, and put you into the military. You can decide to join the Air Force or the Army or the Navy or the Marine Corps or the Coast Guard. You can decide that. It's a volunteer service. But once you do volunteer and you're in uniform, you'll still have freedoms like the rest of Americans, but... You'll now be under command and under a new commission. And you will be given work tasks that you may not think is your gift. And they will say, we didn't ask if it's your gifting. This is what you're going to do, period. And so Jesus, as we volunteer, we come to him. We, he, anyone wants to come, come. I came willingly, gave my life salvation. And but then I come under a commission. And part of my worship is, go do this, don't do this. Go do this, don't do this. And that's not, once you love Jesus, you're not bothered by that. You actually are, you know, most people that are in elite special force, they love to take on the things no other people wouldn't take on we, because they develop a passion for it. Once you have a passion for Jesus in the freedom of him, and knowing that you're free in him, you're not bothered by all that. You're like, Lord, this is good for my soul. Does that make sense? You're under that commission, but you are willingly under it, desiring. And the mindset is, uh, it's not that you have to disciple kids, or you have to cut grass, or you have to help here. Or have to no, you get to do those things as giving back. Lord, he gave you eternity of salvation. Lord, what can I do to help pour into the kingdom I get to. I've been set free from the prison of all about me. 
That's America. You, if you're saved, you have been set free from the prison of it's all about me, and now you're in the freedom of it's all about Jesus. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that, Lord, you have, by your grace, given us so great a salvation. It's free to us, but it wasn't free to you. And Lord, I don't even fully understand the freedom that you talk about in the scriptures. I, I'm experiencing it. I, I get glimpses. I'm, I'm more understanding it with time, but Lord, it's beyond my comprehension. Lord, I know that we'll understand more of it uh, on the other side, but I do know, Lord, that to be set free from the mind of this world, from the lust of this world, from the desires of this world, is truly a freedom that money can't buy. And Lord, I just thank you for uh, the fact that you not only set us free from sin, but you set us free to worship you, and you set us free to serve you. And that that service isn't begrudging. We then have a joy about it. It really is Jesus, others, and then you or ourselves, Lord. And we thank you that you do that work. We couldn't change our attitudes but you change it with the inward work of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, as we come to the close of this service and we'll close with worship, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today they would be set free from the bondage of sin. That's the starting point. Lord, then you'll, you'll bring them into worship and you'll bring them into serving you. But, Lord, first they have to be, the prison door has to be open. They have to be let out. And so if your eyes are bowed and anyone online as well, I'm speaking to you. If any, anyone says, I, I want to be set free from the bondage of sin. I want to no longer be in bondage. I, I'm in guilt. I'm in shame. I can't stop these things. You can't. You can't. Only Jesus can. Anyone at all, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anyone at all. Anyone online? Anyone in this room? I, I don't want to... This is more important than the fireworks show and all the other stuff. This is, this is someone's soul. If there's anyone at all that says, I want to be set free. I want to be delivered. My soul to be set free. Anyone at all? God came to seek and to save. I'm going to pray this prayer and maybe there's someone online. Maybe there's someone here that just know God's speaking to them, but they're afraid to raise their hand. Remember, Satan wants to keep you in bondage. God wants to set you free. Just pray with the sincerity of your heart, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for shedding your blood. Lord, I'm sorry for all of my sins. Please cleanse me. Please forgive me. Wash me, for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk now in newness of life from now until you call me home. In Jesus' name, I pray. And if you prayed that, send us a note to questions at Calvary Chapel RVA. We'd love to follow up with you. If you prayed that in this room and you just thought I saw a hand go up for a second, but I wasn't positive. But if you did, 
uh, come speak to, we'll have men uh, up on both sides of the altar. We'd love to pray with you and help you to grow in the Lord. Why don't you stand as we close in worship?